Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for his glory. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Follow Online uh, this Sunday morning. It's wonderful to be finishing up our relationship series, and I hope and trust that you've got a lot out of it so far. Uh, Today, for something extra special, we've got a panel of guests with us. And they're experts in the field of relationships in different ways. And so it's really great to hear from them today. So we've got Bill Brown uh, from Sindal Baptist Church and also at the BUV now. Good morning, Bill. And we've got Kimberly Smith. Um, She's also from the BUV and works with Generations and has written a book on singleness called What What We Cannot Be Alone. So great book. Encourage you to read that if you want to know more about singleness. And then, of course, we've got Brett and Kate Ryan back from Focus on the Family. And they shared last week on parenting and children. Who? We can wait. And we're not from BUV. Yeah. yeah, we're not from BUV. <laughs> no, you're not from BUV. You're there. Yeah. Me either, either. So that's all right. So we're, we're not from the BUV. On my screen, that half of the screen is from the BUV and this half of the screen is not. Um, so, But you're all welcome. So it's great to have you this morning. And it's great to have Brett and Kate back again to talk a little bit more about the topics that we're going to cover this morning. So we've got four topics that we're going to cover. Um, it's friendship, marriage, singleness, and parenting. So we'll work through it in that order just so that we get all those kind of discussions in one block before we move on to the next topic. So we're going to start with friendship. And I thought, you know, all of us hopefully have got friends. Um, I think friendship's very important. Uh, Bill spoke about friendship at Follow just a couple of weeks ago with some great advice on that. But I thought I'd just start the panel by asking each of you, if you could narrow it down to one sentence, what are you looking for in a friend? Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, you, you're the you expert. Start. You started, Bill. Go for it, Bill. I'm looking, I'm looking for someone who will walk with me, who will love me unconditionally, and who will encourage me to keep growing. Great answer. Yeah, I, and I want Bill to be my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, um, I would summarise it similarly, companionship for the journey, the mutual sharing of highs and lows and understanding and encouragement. And I, adding to it all is just, I think you can know who your real friends are when the bad times happen and they're going to be there no matter what. And they're also going to be able to talk the truth with love. Mm. And, uh, and that's a true friend if they can really speak the truth with love. Yeah. I, and for myself, uh, somebody who's trustworthy, uh, loyal, and someone who will challenge me. You know, they're speaking the truth in love. And if we can do that for each other, I think that's the best outcome. Yeah, I don't think I need to really add much to all that. I think I agree with all of those things. They all sound like wonderful definitions, but I certainly think the challenging part, you know, you want that balance of encouragement and challenge. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, if I say that to my friend, then I might lose the friendship. But I think you've always got to risk it to speak the truth in love. And um, you know, I want people that will encourage me in the good times, but in the difficult times when I'm making a mistake, we'll say, hang on, what are you doing? You know, you've got to think about that. And I think that's really valuable. Well, hope, hopefully, you know, you've built up enough um, depth in your relationship that you know that if they're saying something it's because they love you yeah uh, you know a lot of let's let's face it with kids you discipline them because you love them it's not to them you, you're speaking truth in love because you care yeah absolutely yeah i think you know people say oh well a true friend wouldn't say something in that situation but i think a true friend has to say something yeah. in that situation yeah. or else they're not really a true friend so yeah. 
yeah, I think they're great definitions. So uh, it's, it's great to hear theory and ideas about friendship, but what about personal stories? It'd be great if someone on the panel would like to share just a personal story. First of all, um, a time where a friend helped you through a, a tough season and you were blessed in that friendship in that time. Mm. I think as a single person, um, I think friendships carry a greater load for me than um, as a married person because they're not, they're not top-ups to existing relationships, they are the relationships. So I think my story is, you know, of a, of a whole community of, of friendships that, um, that are needed to, I guess, fill the gaps that a, that a spouse might otherwise um, already inhabit, you know, the, that sort of default relationship. So for me, my entire story is about friends that have carried me through anything (laughs) highs lows um i'm constantly relying you know on on friends to be that for me so i guess it's um it's a slightly different experience but also i I think probably the ones that stand out for me are those that um i they address the need before i even express it they you know they know me well enough to to preempt what i might um be going through or experiencing in a in a certain circumstance and and they're they're thinking for me or you know being ahead of that I, I think that's been one of the the standout blessings for me yeah certainly one of the one of the things that for me was really important after my wife Jenny died was friends who would be not only thinking about what I might be going through but also inviting me to be part of their journey mm. whether they were married friends or single friends uh, they were willing to anticipate, as Kim was saying, and and be there for me. I've I'd, I'd loved the fact that I've been able to call people at unusual times and they've still taken the call mm. or they've invited me to go on holidays with them when normally I would have been going with my wife. So those sorts of things have been really helpful for me. Mm. I, I, I love the word anticipate because I think as Christians we can go, oh, let us know if you need a meal. Or let us know if you, you know, but you're not mm. going to do that. You just need to, I don't think you have to pray about whether you need to make a meal for someone. You just get on and do it. And I think we've we've had that when, you know, I've had a lot of sickness and we had people who would just rock up with a meal. Brett's not good mm. at accepting help. Um, he, he's always been the person to help. And so when, you know, I've been sick, he'd say, oh, no, no, we're fine. But it was the people who are going, oh, come on, you can't do everything. Um, that just rocked up um, with a meal or just rocked up to sit on my bed uh, just to have that moment. Mm. And I look, I'm really close with my mum and she would actually come every day and just stand at the window outside because she couldn't get close to me. She would stand at the bedroom window and just chat to me through the window, just Mm. things like that where they're thinking outside the box. It doesn't take much, but it means so much that they Mm. anticipate. Yeah, for sure. You know that they're really thinking about you. And yeah. like you said, sometimes particularly people that give a lot, when you try to give back to them, they're, no, 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 there's people that need it more than I do. Yeah. So sometimes you better just to do the meal, take it over and say, here it is, yeah. rather than let me know if you need a meal because I'll often say no. That's it's right. something that I, I would encourage people to do is actually accept it. And as Kate said, I'm not very good at that, <laughs> but you're actually taking away the joy of mm. allowing another person to give yeah. to you. And, uh, and that's actually being quite selfish if you continue to doing that. And I'm a work in progress as we all are. <laughs> as long as they bring the food in a takeaway container so you don't have to return it. Yeah. <laughs> that is very helpful. Very good, yes. <laughs> good sure. tip. I always end up with a whole bunch of containers in my car and I can't for the life of remember who <laughs> gave them to me. Um, 
And the other thing I'd say is it doesn't always have to be lasagna, right? It can be other things <laughs> as well. So be creative. Try something different. Yeah, pasta bake. <laughs> pasta bake. It's completely pasta different. Bake. Yeah, that's good. That's the other go-to for sure. <laughs> so, Bill, you came and spoke at Follow a few weeks ago about friendship, but I was wondering for you if you were to think about the way you are a friend to others, because you're a friend to lots of people, um, how have you grown as a friend to people over the decades? So Bill Brown is a friend of people when you were 20 years old to compared to now that you're 40. Um, how would you be a friend differently to people now? I think some of the things that I've learned is that being there for them is much more important than actually telling them anything. And there are times when I've wanted to be there and simply had to say, I have no idea what to say here, but I want you to know I'm with you. So being there for others is a really critical part of being a friend. I think another is a listening ear. Lots of people uh, seem to unload things and go away saying, thanks so much, that's been really helpful, and I've not said hardly anything. So being a good listener has been an important thing. A faithful prayer. Uh, I've often had people say, thanks for the two-minute phone call and you offered to pray for me. That was so important. Uh, and I, I reckon that one of the things that I'm, I'm learning is that God prompts us by his spirit on occasions to pick up the phone and simply let people know, I'm thinking of you. How's it going? Yeah. How can I pray for you? Can I pray for you now? That's been an important part. Uh, encouragement is one of the things that I love to do. I want to add value to people every day. I think about how I can add value and uh, what can I do to encourage and I reckon uh, for me, Barnabas is one of my heroes. I want to be called the son of encouragement. Yeah, yeah for sure. Can well, I emphasize that aspect of offering to pray for somebody. We can take that for granted, and there is nothing better. It's like you're giving them liquid gold or, or oxygen. We could think, especially in Christendom, we can just assume, oh, we're going to pray for you. But actually stopping and actually praying for that right. person, it, I, I, I would be surprised that the number of time I've prayed for people who I don't even know who have actually rung up focus on the family and asked for some um, advice and I've given them and I say, can I just pray for you? And at the end of that, they're just crying because it's given them something that they just don't have it on an everyday basis. So I would encourage people when you, if you're really serious about being a good friend is not just say, I'm going to pray for you, actually do it. Mm. yeah absolutely and then maybe even text them and let them know they're praying you're praying for them i think those sorts of things just following up encouraging them that way but i really love what you said also bill about just being there for people because a lot of people will think well if i'm a friend and they're going through a difficult time i don't know what to say so if mm. i go there i'm going to be stuck and i'm going to look silly it's not about what you say so often it's about just being there and, and everyone can just be there uh, everyone can pray a simple prayer, you know, so those simple things we can do, and that's so much better than doing nothing. And if it's just a listening ear, that can be a real relief for people. So uh, that's, I think that's really good advice. So you've just mentioned Barnabas a moment ago, Bill, but can anyone else think of, um, you know, examples of friendship in the Bible that, that come to mind that we can learn from? Jonathan David came to mind. And uh, the fact that you know, Jonathan was, he could have been the heir apparent, but he actually knew that David was going to be the one and he was supportive and actually protected him. And his friendship was so strong that um, he was willing to sacrifice his friendship for, for his, his friend. And I just think 
laying down one's life. We talk about that being the greatest example of, of mm. love, laying down what you want um, for, the, uh, for the sake of the other person. That is a true testament of real love. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Ruth and Naomi are a great example of friendship in, the, in Scripture. I think um, I probably resonate with their story too, just stepping into the gap for one another and being practical support to each other as well as companionship and then that sort of faithfulness and and commitment to stay with one another and then of course how um naomi released ruth but but i think that that's a great illustration of friendship i reckon uh, for me one of the great illustrations of friendship is a guy called onesiphorus and paul said four things about onesiphorus he said uh, he often refreshed me he was not embarrassed by my circumstances he searched hard till he found me and he helped me in many ways. I reckon that's a great friend. Yeah, absolutely. I think what they all have in common is that all those friends through thick and thin, you know, it wasn't always easy going, but I know with uh, David and Jonathan, it says that they were one in spirit and that David loved Jonathan like himself. And obviously with Ruth and Naomi, they could have gone their separate ways, but they stayed together. And, and then, um, you know, with Paul yeah. as well, that, that, just staying together no matter what and being loyal and kind and, and just always being there when, when your friends need you. It's, it's really powerful. I love the way, um, Bill, you were saying being refreshed. When somebody's been with you, do they feel depleted or do they feel refreshed? And I think that's a good litmus test. Uh, am I leaving the space where I was with that friend a better place or am I you know, suck the living daylights yeah, suck, out. Yeah, of them. sucking the living daylights out of them. Yeah. Um, so we've got to look at that as you know, is that what we're doing? Are we bringing the value to the friendship? Because if not, we need to work on that ourselves. Yeah. So there's some good definitions of what we're looking for in friends there, and what the Bible tells us about friendship. Uh, but how many friends do you think we can actually in meaningfully invest into? Like we've all got limited time in the day. Is it fifty friends? Is it five friends? Is it one friend? What What do you think? Everyone's got different capacities. I know that there's some people that I know that they just seem to be a friend for all people, like Bill, like Exhibit A. Uh, <laughs> and there's other times we just can't give out as much because we have our own self-care we need to be very aware of. We need to care for our families uh, and we can't always give out. So we have to be discerning there and making some tough decisions. You can't be all things to all people, but you can be to some people. And you have to choose wisely. So I think, I mean, guys tend to not have many active friends or as a general rule, um, ones that you can really turn to. And I can only count on, on, on you know, one hand how many really close male friends that I have. Uh, so it's a little bit different from males as opposed to females. But I do know that, you know, whoever I catch up with, I hopefully that we can pick up where we left off as best I can and be available if and when I can be. There are different depths of relationship too. So, you know, if we're talking about those ones that you share deeply with, they tend to be a smaller number uh, who you trust with your deepest thoughts. Um, and I guess that that comes with, I suppose, being in ministry too. Um, you're constantly giving out and a lot of people think they're your friends and, you know, so there's this, because you're, hopefully kind and loving to everybody um, you're going to have different levels of friendship um, and you can't be deeply intimate with a lot of people you often think if you can have one hand if that, that hand is a really close friend you're probably doing pretty well and 
I know I had my 40th birthday celebration about a year ago. And when you pastor a church with, a, you know, a few hundred people, it's, it's hard to have a birthday and not offend people. Mm-hmm. So what, what I did is just had seven really close friends who are from different parts of my life that, you know, I think some friends are seasonal. They're, they're friends because you're in the same church for a season, yep. or the same workplace or whatever. But then there's those friends that transcend seasons and you just know that you're going to keep journeying with them. You know, I've got a really close friend in Torquay, for example, and um, I'm over in Pakenham. So that's a long way away, but we don't chat every week, but we chat regularly enough that he's a close friend that I can turn to at any time and vice versa. So I think it's working out those friends and, and I've become more comfortable that some friends are there for a season. Yeah. And so you enjoy the season, you, you're blessed by it. Hopefully you're a blessing to them, but then life changes and, there's a different season and there's new friends, but then there's other friends that just keep going through. And I think they're really important to make sure that you keep those friendships up and invest in them in meaningful ways. And and then new ones just come across your path when you weren't even looking. Mm. They just become really close friends all of a sudden. It's like you've just found each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just, we've moved churches in the last couple of years and there's been a lady there that I just like, where have you been all my life? You know, <laughs> that kind of a, a relationship real where real connection yeah. very quickly because uh, you've walked a similar path in life and you're in the same season of life and, and all of those things. And so, yes, I, we agree. We were actually talking about this this morning that friendships can be seasonal and it sounds awful because it's like, is that an expi- expiration date? Uh, but it's not. It, it can be seasonal. You know, when you've got young kids, you're travelling through you know, primary school with the parents and then they all spread out to different schools. And so, oh, we don't have that connection point anymore. So, you know, so it does change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's finish up with friendship with one last raw question. Okay. This is a hard one. Um, So if someone's willing to share their story, that'd be great. But have you ever lost a friendship and what mistakes did you make or regrets do you have from that particular situation? I remember losing a friend who, uh, I think the thing that I did that was really unhelpful was that I tried to confront them over the phone, not in person. And it's much harder to do that. Uh, we, we remain civil to one another. Uh, and there's, but there've been times when we've talked since then, but I, I think I should have done it uh, person to person rather than over the phone. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think, you know, sending Mm -hmm. letters or making phone calls are never a good substitute for having a conversation with someone. So I think, yeah, it's really good, really good. Any other things that people have learned when they've lost a friendship? Yeah, I've lost a a girlfriend. Um, I would say, well, she said, uh, expectations um, not being met. we ha- we had different versions of what a friend was. Um, and so that was a very difficult time. But we realised that was a seasonal friend in the end. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was a, it was difficult at the time, never really resolved, you know. It was, it was... And we tried to do it face-to-face and, and I spoke to her husband and we tried to mediate, but yeah. we, we just had to agree to disagree. We've seen each other subsequently and, as it said, it would be civilised, but it's never quite the same because we've had a, a, an expectation that was not met and she felt like she could not fulfil that expectation even though it was simply showing acts of kindness. But, you know, and as, again, it, it's, a, it's a grief, it's a loss, uh, but we've moved on. And and the point is too that 
you know, clearly um, she was walking through something too that obviously I couldn't understand um, at the time. So like with anything, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. Um, and you'll never really get the full picture of what was going on underneath and as to why something happens, if it if it's not fully resolved, then you'd never really truly understand, and that and that's very sad, uh, because you want everything to be resolved, and you want to be able to have reconciled relationships, because that's you know that's well, it's biblical. biblical. Make every oh, effort right. to live in unity with peace, peace. with everyone. Yeah, that's right. And uh, despite our best efforts, it could not be reconciled. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I've learned is that um, we can never control how people respond in circumstances, but we can always control how we respond. And so we're accountable for our actions, not the actions of others. So we've got to do everything to be at peace with everyone, but understand mm -hmm. that's not always reciprocated. And so you've, you've got to put your head on the pillow at the end of the night and, and honestly believe that you've done everything you can and then just trust those people over to God in prayer and, um, and hopefully over time, maybe they'd have a change of heart, but certainly hard and, uh, friendship's wonderful, but when you lose a friendship, there is a, a season of grief, no doubt about that. So, yeah. All right, let's move to marriage. Um, so we talked a little bit about that last weekend in church with Brett and Kate, and that was really great. Um, it came out in the parenting children kind of conversation. Um, but with marriage, what do you think we learn most powerfully um, about marriage from the scriptures? Let's start there. Well, when I first uh, considered that, I, I go immediately to Ephesians 5.21, where it says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. A lot of people go, well, you know, husbands, love your wives. And I think that comes out of true submission under God. And my job as a husband is to serve Kate. And her job as a wife is to serve me. Yeah. It's mutual submission, one to another. And we do that in honor of God. And God is the center. And so Kate you know, we were thinking about this. Yeah, so I took the same question and mine was that uh, we're the three-stranded cord um, and we're in unity, we're connected, we're so interwoven like one of those big heavy ropes you see that, you know, boats have. And I, I always picture the really fat ones, you know, <laughs> and that it's so heavy and it's so tightly wound and it's so strong and that, we as a couple with God need to work. He's given us everything we need. In the Bible, he's given us everything we need to have a healthy marriage. And so we need to be in unison, but it takes work to do it. Not it for one minute am I going to say, oh, marriage is easy. You fall in love and, oh, it's great. It's just not the way it is. Yeah. But he gives us everything we need if we're prepared to work at it. Yeah. Because it can be wonderful mm. if you choose to follow his word and but his it takes guidance. two to make a relationship work well, despite everyone's best efforts and as god is in our center it still takes those two individuals to make the relationship work that's right because he tells us how to speak to each other he tells us how to love each other he tells us you know he tells us every every way to do it well mm -hmm. it's whether we're prepared to do it or whether we let our human nature which is so easy to do yeah I, I agree with what Brett and Kate have said. I think one of the things for me that's been really helpful is am I willing to give all of myself uh, for the welfare and the betterment of the person that I'm married to? And I love the 1 Corinthians passage. If I take each of those uh, things about love as patient, I ask myself the question, is Bill patient, kind, never keeping record of wrongs, not 
not strutting around, those sorts of things. Am I willing to give in order for Julia mm -hmm. or Jenny earlier to yeah. be the best that they can possibly be? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You often say in weddings, you know, that whole Ephesians passage where, you know, the picture is we're laying our lives down for one another. So yeah. my wife is laying her life down for me and so my needs are met but I'm laying my life down for her. So her needs are met and neither of us are having our needs met by selfishly grabbing for ourselves, but by sacrificially giving of ourselves. And I think that's a Christian version of marriage that, you know, speaks a great witness to Christ in our community, that if we live marriages like that, you wouldn't have anything like domestic abuse or selfishness or divorce wow. or anything like that, because you're living that out. Now it's easier said than done. We need the help of the Holy spirit every day to do that. Cause you know, often we gravitate towards things that are more selfish or our own needs or wants. But I think if we can, with God's help, continue to live that way, um, yeah, you see healthy marriages and that's that's a wonderful witness and a wonderful experience. Yeah, I've got a quick story. Uh, we were sitting at our son's house. He got married two and a half years ago. And uh, we were just talking about this concept of serving. And they said, you know, right from the word go, we kind of set up a competition of who could outserve the other. And so I said, well, you can't go wrong. I mean, I'm all for a little competition. But I said, if, that's the, if that is the goal is to serve each other, not looking at what they're getting, I mean, they've got it scunned because, you know, I said to Brett, we didn't sit around, you know, when we first got married and go, gee, <laughs> serve each other. You know, it just wasn't, you didn't kind of think in those terms. I mean, we loved each other and we were going to sacrifice for each other, but mm -hmm. we didn't do that. And I just was like, that is such a beautiful way to look at it. Um, and we watch them and they do do it. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. Okay, so thinking about marriages, uh, at the moment COVID has been, you know, something that's going on in our world and in Victoria we've been in perpetual lockdown. And um, for some of the people that would be a real joy. They've got extra time with their family and with their husband or wife. But for others there, I think that would have created real tension, you know, not being used to being with each other kind of 24 hours a day. So I thought, Brett and Kate, just good to ask, you know, a couple of quick tips for maximising the extra time together and the blessing of that, but also at the same time minimising any tension that could come up. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. one sort of line that I came up with is show each other grace when we're in each other's space or in each other's face. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. very deep. <laughs> you, you can quote me on it. Just showing grace to one another and knowing that you don't have to be in each other's face all the time. Hmm. Yeah relationship and do better and research has shown when you give each other space and you allow one another to breathe yeah. in and breathe out uh actually improve so you don't have to spend every waking moment together i mean it, it can work and we encourage people if they if it makes it if it's if it helps them in their relationship go ahead but also knowing that you can't be in yeah. each other and you can't fulfill your spouse's every need no. Um, I know COVID has actually added another dimension, but one other, an individual, even whether it's COVID or not with COVID, one individual is not going to fill everyone's needs. And if you go with an expectation that your partner is going to fulfill every, you know, every box that needs to be ticked, you're going to be uh, disappointed. Um, so that's showing grace, yeah. but also valuing each other and not taking one another for granted, mm -hmm. showing appreciation. It's yeah. the little things. It's the please and thank yous. And for those who are into sport, we talk about the one percenters, yeah. those little things that aren't really big and huge, but, you know. They change I, the trajectory. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate what you did for us or I thank you for that or, or um, yeah. saying thank you uh, more often than what you can, you know, you didn't do this and look at the all the faults, you know, 
that can be quite uh, demoralizing and, and uh, demotivating when you look at the faults. Praising one another can also be of great benefit. Yeah. I know in the Love Dare book, it talks about two, two rooms in your mind, the appreciation room and the de- depreciation room. Yeah. And when you first get married, you spend nearly all of your time in the appreciation room, you know, all the things you love about them. But over time, you start taking each other for granted and you sort of swing more to the depreciation room. And so the, the discipline and the challenge, I think, of like daily compliments and reminding yourself of the blessing. And, and you know, there's rarely a day uh, in our lives where I don't tell my wife and kids that I love them. And I think that's really important for us. And um, But just also thinking about what are the things I love, be specific about it and um, regularly remind one another of that, whether it's your friends or whether it's your your spouse. I think that's a really important thing. Uh, in oh, I, Absolutely. I, I think we can get caught up in what's happening in the moment. But we've got to look big picture, big picture, Um, because not only is it just our relationship, just husband and wife, but our kids are watching this. And, and, you know, COVID is probably a perfect example for our kids to watch because it's put everybody under a lot of pressure. Mm. How do we handle it? What are we doing to stay healthy? What are we doing to show appreciation to each other? What I mean, our big dates we get in the car, we drive two minutes to McDonald's, we get a coffee, we drive back and we go, oh, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Getting out of the house, that's our big date. But it's just getting out and being, focusing on each other for those even five or ten minutes and just talking and having a laugh about the fact that we're free. We're free from the house, free from our kids. You know, as much as we love our kids, we've got adult sons. It's having that bigger um, picture in mind is yeah. also that legacy. What are you leaving behind? And I remember being challenged by this is what type of great grandchildren are you creating? And that starts with how you do your relationship. Yeah. yeah, very good. I think we could talk about marriage for a long time, but we want to move on to the next topic, which is just as important. And when you're talking about relationships, particularly in churches, we often don't come to this one, but it's so uh, critical in the life of the church. And that's the topic of singleness. And so um, I wanted to address Kim a little bit here because you um, have written books on this topic. I'm a professional single. (laughs) That's your own words, but you've certainly written books on it and I know they've been very helpful to people that are going through a season of singleness or have been single their whole lives. So um, I've heard you share about the language of waiting. You know, people say, I'm just waiting for my, you know, life partner or my knight in shining armour or whatever it may be (laughs) and how you don't particularly like that language. Do you want to just elaborate on that for us? Uh, yeah, I think it's the inference of waiting as being stagnant like, and as it being a wasted period of time. I immediately go to the image of the waiting room at the doctors where nothing good happens in the waiting room at the doctors. It's just out-of-date magazines, trashy daytime television and potentially leaving with more germs than you came in with. Like that's all that happens in a waiting room. It's a waste of time, you know, while you're waiting to see the doctor. And I think that imagery can kind of sink into our the way we think about waiting in terms of for a life partner as a single person because I think we can switch into that mode of being on hold or, or being in that sort of a season of stagnation really just everything's going to start when I get married and depending how long that season is you can miss a whole lot of opportunities if you're looking forward and I think that's true of every life stage and season but Um, particularly when we look at it in context to the single, is that if I'm waiting for something to start when I get married, what might I be missing in this season here? And I think a good exercise is actually as a single person, think five years ahead, I'm married. What would I like that these five years to have been 
filled with? Is it regret that I went, oh my gosh, I didn't do all those things I could have done when I was single? Or is it that I wanted to live the best life and, and to, to come into marriage as my best me because I was focusing on, on maximizing the season I was in? And I think um, inadvertently, community and family around people feed into that idea. When you get married, something more is coming as opposed to what are you doing now? And I, I think that's where I... I want to push back on that waiting language. Mm. So sometimes in churches we have really good intentions um, when it comes to single people and making sure that they uh, feel like a really valuable part of the family of God and that's so important. But we, through ignorance, I guess, sometimes don't do that so well. So what would be some things, some do's and don'ts, I guess, in terms of how to relate to single people within a church context? Yeah, two main things come to mind. One is don't assume anything. You ask lots of questions. There is no, no single single is the same as another. Like where everybody is so unique in their experience of that, their age, their stage, their attitude to it, whether they're happy to be single or not, whether it was by choice or it's happened to them, all that sort of stuff. Like don't assume anything. So I think we need to be better at asking a lot of questions and sometimes they're a little bit awkward, but I think we're better off doing that where we um, lessen the risk of offending or unnecessarily hurting people if we just ask them more questions. Would you, would you feel comfortable as a single person coming out with a group of married people or rather than I'm just assuming you wouldn't want to be invited so I won't? Those sorts of things are the stories that people tell of feeling uh, quite offended by church community or pushed aside and it was probably with the best of intent. So that's the first tip. And the other one I would say is don't waste exclusive language on things that aren't exclusive. Often we say things like, all oh, the mums and dads in the room, let's do this. Well, we, are you actually talking to mums and dads or do you just mean adults? And if you just mean adults, say adults, because at some point you probably do mean mums and dads or you do mean husbands and wives. You know, if you're talking about um, relationships, are we only talking about married relationships as you guys are exploring in this season, this friendship? So don't use, don't waste exclusive language about husbands and wives when you're actually talking about friendships so that when you are talking about husbands and wives, that's an appropriate use of that language. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah, that's very good. So, I mean, talking about assumptions, um, one of the assumptions we often make in churches is that singles are, are young adults that haven't got married yet that would like to be married. But obviously singles in a church are a lot more diverse and broad than that. And so you have uh, people who are single again, they may have lost a life partner, uh, they may have gone through a relationship breakdown or a divorce and, and that's, a, I guess, a different season of singleness. And so Kim and Bill, I think uh, both of you have had kind of experiences like this where you've been uh, in, married in, in a couple and then you found yourself as a single in perhaps the same context. Um, what are some things you found difficult or some things you did to help adjust to those changes? You want to go, Kim? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Uh, times of wisdom, particularly because uh, for me, it was around 34 years that I was married to Jenny before she passed away. And so we often related as a team to others. So just wisdom in terms of relating both uh, to couples afterwards, as well as those who were single. Uh, there were some awkward situations that I needed to navigate uh, in terms particularly relating to women after that, uh, there were opportunities for me uh, to think about holidays. What would you normally do on a holiday? We, we'd always gone together on holidays. Now I was on my own 
I said to my kids, don't feel you've got to invite me on your holidays. They did. But there are also other couples who said, we'd love you to come with us on a holiday and whether up the country or even overseas. And they were great times. And after Jenny died, there were also male friends who said, hey, what about going to the flicks together? Let's go see a movie. So they were some of the things that we needed to be uh, sensitive to and really appreciative of other people uh, being sensitive about how I might be feeling. So, yeah, I could tell you mm. some funny stories, but we probably don't have time for that. <laughs> nice you teaser. That, you just touched on that proactive friendship again, that there were people in that time, yeah. reading the situation, understanding what you were going through that reached out and, and did things that you could do together. I think that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. And for me, mine's a, a different story. I mean, for, firstly, it's divorce, not um, by death, that it was separated. So that has its own attachment of um, scepticism and assumptions from other people and, and some challenges that I had to navigate there. But also it was a lot earlier in life. And so for me, the significant thing was that I got bumped off the, the trajectory of life that I was journeying my, with, with my friends. So, for example, my brother got married only a few months before me. We, I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. Um, but he's now a parent of adult children, one who's married and he's a grandfather. And so he, they went through an entirely different life journey. And I'm sort of still the single person. Yeah, that, that's my, like nothing of my status changed in that, that same time. And so that was, that's a really interesting thing for younger um, single again. Um, but even for singles who are, we see that happen a lot in church where a group of younger people go through together and they get to young adulthood. And if you don't follow the natural sort of narrative of married children, et cetera, there can be that real sense of being left behind or at least sort of bumped into this alternate track where suddenly I was at a wedding and I'm sat on the singles table, which is me in my late 30s at the time and um and a whole bunch of 18 year olds you know because it's sort of where do you fit in in the narrative so that was a different part of the experience for me yeah for sure so many questions i'd love to ask about that but for time's sake i think we'll, we'll keep moving on to the last topic which is parenting um so parenting can obviously i know as a parent it can be a wonderful joy uh, and also a huge challenge at times and so I thought Brett and Kate it would be good to ask you what you find most rewarding and most challenging particularly about working with parents uh, at Focus on the Family. Yeah we love it we, I yeah. mean we love it yeah. we love doing what we're doing we love doing it things ministry together yeah. uh, probably the one uh, we can think of different examples individual examples but overall it's so encouraging and to see couples coming or individuals yeah. coming to ask us questions where, whether it's online or whether it's on a telephone or at a seminar and they're asking they're really eager to learn and to be better informed yeah that really encourages us what also frustrates us is sometimes the lack of people asking those questions and they should be uh, or alternatively they ask the questions you give them an answer and then they all not even apply it or try to apply it. And so that can be very frustrating as well. But that can apply to marriage as well or, or any advice, any, any, any advice, advice yeah. in general. So when people are eager to learn, and I think we should all be eager to learn. We don't, we don't want to assume that we can do relationships well. We don't want to assume that we can do friendships well. We don't want to assume that we can do parenting well. Yeah. We need to be better informed. Just like you want to do professional development, we think you should be developing the skills on how to be a better husband or a better father, a better 
wife, better mother, a, a better individual? How can we be a better son or a daughter? Yeah. Uh, we need to continually learn. And that is only going to, be going to happen by reading yeah. or listening or asking other people who have gone before you, yeah. how do you do it? Having a mentor. You know, we do it with so many other areas of our lives, spiritual mentors, uh, professional mentors. But having, say, a marriage mentor or a parenting mm. mentor is really important because there are so many great couples who've gone before us who we can glean from um, that have done it well. And, you know, if we, we sometimes we can just flounder around, particularly if you haven't had good role models yourself nor your spouse. And so now the two of you are trying to kind of do this mishmash of, oh, well, we'll muddle through. But parenting is is not kind of like that. You need to have a plan. It's not for the um, faint-hearted. You, you want to have a plan. And that's not what your child's going to be. You know, this is not the career they're taking or, you know, I'm going to raise them up to be a doctor or an accountant or whatever it is you've got a dream of for your child. But more about how are you going to build character? How are you going to um, teach them how to be a good friend? How are you going to give back to the people around them, being outward focused, not inward focused. We don't want them to be me centric. Um, how to teaching them how to love God so that then God can use them for the, the plan he has for them. And so there are so many things that as parents, we need to try and instill in our children. So how do we go about that? And I mean, we talk about discipline being part of that plan. You don't just have rules for rules sake. But our boundaries and our consequences are all about building character yes. and, you know, developing them so that they're more Christ-like. Um, it's not just to get through their, their years and get them out of the house quick. <laughs> um, let's face it, we've all had those moments. Um, and parenting can be tough. You can do all the right things and your kids make their own choices and go off the rails. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask about that, actually, that I've seen many parents wrestle with that anguish when their kids do oh. go off the rails, they rebel, they walk away yeah. from God. And some people respond by putting more pressure on and trying to guilt them to come back. Others yeah. just sort of write them off. I don't think either of those are helpful. So what, what are some tips in that situation? Well, well actually, I, Kimberly has a great response on this because I remember we did an interview with her a couple of <laughs> uh, last year, I believe, and, and she was saying, you know, you, you can drag your kids to church. What are you dragging them to? And she also said, you know, you don't drag your kids to a chocolate factory. So what are you dragging them to? And is it, has it, to be, is it a place that's relevant, engaging? Uh, is it something that's going to be uh, connecting for their community? Because that's an vital aspect of a young person's journey is, is community and having an understanding of why you do, not just do it because that's what we do in our family. Mm. Um, it's bringing them along on the journey and having them from a very early age that you're very intentional about how you do parenting. But as Kate said, there's no guarantees. I think one of the big things we need to remember, and all parents, us too, fall into this trap of you get caught up in the emotion of a situation and things can spiral out of control when really what we need to remember is that it's a battle in the spiritual realm for our children. Yeah. And it's not against flesh and blood. Our children are not the enemy. They are not. And that's something we have to remember if they're being rude or, you know, they've, they've really gone off the rails and we're, we're like, well, what did we do wrong? That's the first question we ask. What did we do wrong? Mm. And so you have to say, Satan doesn't want our kids to move forward successfully. He doesn't want our families to do well. 
that's his big plan: ruin, ruin marriages, ruin families, and he's got he's got it scummed then. And yeah. and we he doesn't want it to our children to succeed. And so we've got to be praying for our children. Grandparents are praying for our children. Mm-hmm. The power of grandparents. I'm just going to say that um, because we have to remember that our children are our children and they're precious regardless of how they might be treating us right now and that it isn't flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And maintaining a relationship is so vitally important despite their prickly aspect to it. You're still going to always be there no matter what, just like the story of the prodigal son embrace, no matter what the, the son did away from the home, the father embraced and welcomed him back. And that's what we have to be, a place that will welcome them back no matter what they do or what they say and what they think about you, you will always be there for them. And that their love is, our love for them is not performance-based. Mm. You know, that they, well, if you come to church, I'm going to love you. Or if you do well in exams, I'm going to love you. If you have really great friends, I'm going to love you. If you're respectful to me, I'm going to love you. Yeah. It's, it's an unconditional love. You may not like them in the moment, and that's okay. They don't like you either. (laughs) Um, But you still got to love them. It's a choice. Like with anything, it is a choice to love. So bring, let's bring parenting. There's some great advice there, by the way. That was wonderful. But bringing parenting into 2020, one of the big issues we have is screen time and um, kids on their screens, whether it's toddlers right through to teenagers, young adults. And Kimberly, I'm sure you have engaged with a lot of this in your work with young people as well. But how can we actually, what would you recommend in terms of putting boundaries in place with screens and helping our kids to have some sort of healthy rhythms in their life? Yeah, I think... Um... I'm Brett and Kate will have some other other research to add into this conversation. But I think one of the things that I've learned personally, but also encourage others in is to not demonize what's happening on screens. I think as soon as we do that as adults in the lives of our young people, we actually put a, a gap between us of understanding and empathy that um, causes our young people to think we don't understand what's going on for them. So I think it's important to realize that, they, that it's in, what they're doing on their screens is important to them and it matters. And so when we talk about managing it, it's not to dismiss it. Look, it's just your friends. Like you can talk to them another time. It's just this. You can do that later. There's actually some investment that they've made in, in that space that we want to honour, but we want to actually help them to think about how they're utilising it. How much time does it take out of your life? Are you in healthy spaces there? You know, is there a healthy attitude towards it? I think... That would be just a, a core value I think we need to be all having. I mean, it's a generational thing. Um, we can very easily be dismissive. Young people, they're always on their phones. You know, young people, they don't know how to do relationships anymore. They're always, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, the reality of this COVID season has shown us that young people can't do relationships solely on social media. Our young people are are grieving the loss of relationships because they're not seeing people in person. Social media supports their real-life relationships. I think that's been quite an eye-opener for us as we've watched young people navigate this time. But I think that's just a really important attitude just to start in whatever, where the phone's allowed to be and who has them in rooms and if they're allowed, how many hours and what what the accesses are. The, the core thing is a valuing of their capacity to decide what they're doing and recognising that, that there's a lot invested on the screens for them. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also good to have ongoing conversations. And I know that many parents here may have 
put their hand up and said, oh, I wish I didn't give my kid uh, a phone earlier, you know, to, to delay it. Because once you've given them, it's it's like any form of addictive behaviors yeah. or habitual, they will consume whatever you allow and for gaining. them. So starting early and putting in some boundaries and explaining the reasons why and be allow your kids to be more discerning and, and bring them along the journey of what they allow through their eyes and what they allow through their ears and talking about quality and quantity and putting those in balance. But it's having, as as Kimberly was saying, it's, it's having these uh ongoing conversations and not think that it's all bad because it's all very well for you to say to your kids, get off your phone. And then, oh, sorry, I'm on the phone. You know. <laughs> we have to role model this as well. Yep. I, I, look, I would love to say, and because I've watched it recently, um, watch The Social Dilemma with your teens. Um, it's on Netflix yep. and it's a lot of CEOs, co-founders, men who and women who monetize all the technology, and it, it really discusses some serious issues about technology, et cetera. And I great think it's conversation a starter. great conversation starter. Mm -hmm. uh, just for your teens to actually think, oh, actually, do I really do that? Is that what they're doing? Oh, I can see that. Um, and whether they want to change their way of doing things. Now, I know quite a few people who've watched this and have actually cut off a whole lot of technology. Um, for that very reason. But they made those choices themselves after listening to the individuals who were part of the development of technology. Yes, yeah, so I watched that with our teenage um, daughters and mm. uh, one of the teenage daughters just took Instagram off. So she still got Facebook, but she thought, I don't need Instagram as well. So she just removed Instagram as a result. But that was her decision. She, I yeah, didn't yeah. Exactly. Right. They're going to own it more That's when right. they had their own personal aha or light bulb moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I only knew because I went to tag her on Instagram and she wasn't there. I said, oh, don't you have Instagram? No, I got rid of it. You know, so. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so it was good. Oh, you're so great. addicted to your screens, Luke. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I repent. <laughs> Uh, let's just finish with a couple of um, specific questions around particular um, seasons of parenting. So let's start with empty nesters. And I might go to Bill with this one um, because often parenting, you know, changes significantly when your kids leave the house and they, you know, they either move out or they get married or whatever, they, they move on. Parenting changes when they're not under your roof and they become adults themselves. So do you want to just give us some tips on how to adjust to that change as someone who's got older kids? Yeah, I've, I've got four adult kids and eight grandkids and one of the, the commitments I have is to make sure that I'm in touch with them every uh, week, uh, both with the kids and if we can with the grandkids in some way in COVID. We can't have time together as much as we used to, but we work hard at me meeting partway uh, from one house to the other. Uh, we catch up on Zoom, those sorts of things. So constant communication is a key in any relationship. So my kids are among my best friends and I want to make sure that I continue to nurture that relationship uh, and include them in, uh, we have a, a, uh, a Viber group. So we try and keep up to date. There's pictures going around on that regularly, keeping up to date and making sure that we share Julia and I share what's going on in our lives as well. So it's not just hearing what's going on in their lives, but sh sharing what's going on for us as well. That's wonderful. So the other issue, the other area is single parenting. Obviously, that's a lot more common these days than it would have been 50 or 100 years ago. And um, a lot of single parents would be watching this today. So just for any of you, just some advice 
Um, you know, parenting's tough enough when there's two of you doing it. When there's only one, it'd be even tougher. So what advice or encouragement would you give to the single parents that are watching today? Yeah, I would say that I think um, I, I have um, a child in my home through foster care and people are often saying to me, how can we help? What do you need? The number one need I have is a coffee and a chat with an adult person because the, the challenge for a single parent is that you've added people to your home, but they're not, pe- they're not peers. And so you're trying to navigate parenting and navigate your own life with a, a child who's not meant to be your partner in that. They're not meant, you're not in that together. You know, it's not like, let me tell you about my day and then you can tell me about what happened at school. You know, uh, it, they're not meant to fill that role. And so uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with parenting, as all of you would know, that we need some adult processing to help yeah. do that. And, and I think that's a, an encouragement for a single person to keep seeking that. But I think it's an encouragement to the broader church community that you have a very vital role to play in the life of a single parent home. And it may not be practical. You don't, may not have to make meals. You may not have to do school drop-off. It could be just being on the other end of a phone call that allows the, the parent to do that external debriefing and processing. Yeah, I think you're going back to, you know, being uh, intuitive or proactive is, as Kimberly was saying, you don't have to wait till somebody, you know, needs to put up their hand. But I think for single parents is don't be afraid to put up your hand. But for the church community is don't wait for that hand to be going up. Be proactive. If they need a male role model in their life, you know, if you're a male, go and be the male role model. If they're a female, be a female role model. Be part of the community because the greatest gift you can give to someone is your presence and that's that listening ear as as bill was sharing and as well as kimberly and kate was talking there just being there for them can be the greatest gift you can give to somebody that's wonderful advice well it's been a a great chat today i really appreciate uh the input that each of you have brought and the wide range of experience you have in different areas and i'm sure for our congregation at follow and others that will listen to this uh, today will be a really a real blessing and lots of stuff they can learn and ponder and think and pray through so just want to say thank you so much for taking the time um, to be part of this uh, we really appreciate you and uh, god bless in everything you're doing thank you very much thank you too luke thanks Take a lot thanks for tuning in to follow online to stay updated go to follow.church As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.
Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.